Thank you so much, Madeline. And uh, my, my prayer is uh, that not only we would be a church who's heavily involved in missions by uh, sending money, but that we would send people, and that maybe even some of you would find yourselves in a different place. Not that you can't be a missionary in Simpsonville or Greenville or Greer or Malden or wherever you live. You can and should be. But I'm praying that God would move on some of us and some of our hearts that he might call us out to other places on the planet who need, who need the gospel. If you've got your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 7. You know that we have been going through the book of Nehemiah uh, for many, many weeks. And uh, Lord willing, uh, in the next, I don't know, three, four, five, six weeks, we'll see. We'll get through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, I don't know if this has just been for you as a church family, or I can tell you for sure it's been for me. Going through this study has been wonderful because I've been reminded of a lot of things and I've learned a lot of things. And one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning is why we lose. Why we lose. Do you ever wonder why uh, in your own faith walk and as a believer you struggle and and sometimes blow it. Do you ever wonder why? Have you ever traced it back to figure out why is it that you fail God or you fall or you're tempted? Um, there usually are some things that will cause us to lose. And we're going to look at the, the book of Nehemiah chapter 7 and discover some things about Nehemiah. He was a very smart person. We found out that he was a visionary. And much like uh, Madeline, when he saw and heard what was happening... In Jerusalem, his heart was so moved that he went to the king. He was the cupbearer to the king, if you remember. And he, he, he walked into the king's presence and he was sad, which was not a good thing as a cupbearer because you were testing the food and the drink that the king would, would take. And so the king thought, okay, he's sad. Am I getting ready to be poisoned? What's happened? And so the king asked him and Nehemiah says, no, I, I, my heart is burdened for my people. Uh, the city has been rebuilt, but the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. And he gives Nehemiah permission to go rebuild the walls. And we've discovered over the last few weeks, he had uh, outward conflict. He had opposition. There was internal conflict that caused uh, struggle in getting the wall rebuilt. And we come to chapter 7, and Nehemiah is going to uh, line for us, outline for us several things that if we will equip ourselves with these will help us win. Now, I don't know about you, but Sonny mentioned, you know, Caroline and Clemson, no matter what side you're on, you want to be the winner. doesn't feel good to lose. Well, let's just be honest. It doesn't feel good to lose when you're trying to serve Christ either. It's, it feels great when you win. And Nehemiah is going to show us some characteristics and some things that if we'll place in our lives, will help us win when it comes to following after Jesus. So let's look at it together, Nehemiah chapter 7. If, you, if you're really smart and you read ahead and you studied ahead, some of you maybe, you get down to about verse 8 through about verse 65, and I just want to go ahead and set you free. We're not going to read all those verses. <laughs> a lot of names in there. They're there for a reason, and I encourage you to read them when you have time. But for sake of time this morning, we won't read all those verses. It's basically a census that Nehemiah is taking, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But as we read those verses, here's the question I'd like for you to ask yourself this morning. Why was Nehemiah successful? And I think you'll hear some things in this chapter that will help you identify with why he was successful. Chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now it came about when the wall was rebuilt 
You remember the last, when we finished the last chapter, he was in the midst of building the wall. The wall was finished, but the doors were not hung. And he tells us in verse 1 of chapter 7, he had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. That I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. All right, let's stop right there. There's the first one. There's the first one, why we often lose. Why do we often lose? Because we don't have the right people. We don't have the right people. We've discovered a lot reading Nehemiah that those that you surround yourself with are very important. And it, he gives us the names of two people in just that first verse that are very specific. So ask yourself this morning, do you have the right people? Do you have the right team of people? He mentions a couple of people. Who are they? He mentions Hananiah, his brother, and Hananiah. Hananiah, if you remember from chapter 1, was a part of the conversation when they discovered that the walls had been torn down. Hananiah was a part of that discussion. He was standing there. And there's a couple of characteristics he mentions in this verse about these two friends. The first one, he says, is they were faithful. They were faithful. He was a faithful man. You know, there are a lot of characteristics that can be ascribed to you and me, but I can't think of a better compliment that somebody can pay to us than just to say, they're faithful. They're faithful. He was a faithful man. Very important characteristic if you're going to fa follow after God. Sometimes I think that we think we need all these great characteristics but being faithful is very important. Maybe recognizing your responsibilities as a dad, a husband, a father. Not neglecting the small things. Keeping those priorities straight. This was the kind of person that Hananiah was in Hananiah. And he also says in that verse, he was not just a faithful man, but he feared God more than many. I don't know about you, but I, I think that is a lost uh, characteristic in our society today. Not many of us fear God anymore. We're not watchful. So he names these two people. They're named. He, they're, they're precise. I think he also names them. We've talked about this a little bit through this study because they're accountable to one another. They're accountable to each other. And so Nehemiah knew he could trust these people. So having the right people is important. We've talked about through this study that, you know, sometimes friendships can make or break you. Sometimes those people that you think are friends that wind up stabbing you in the back and you realize, no, they weren't really friends after all. But finding people who are faithful and who have a fear of God is very important. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, it says this. Nehemiah says to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his own post, and each in front of his own house. So he's given specific instructions, you know what, and specific practices for them to do. A lot of times the reason we lose, quite simply, is because we don't have the right practice. It's not just the right people, but it's actually doing the right things. You go back to a sports illustration. Sometimes you can have the right people on your team, but if you're not calling the right plays and you're not doing the right practice, it doesn't matter if you have the right people or not. And so Nehemiah gives them some, some specific, specific instructions for them to follow. It's interesting to me what he says to them, don't let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. Some of you who know your Bible history know that what was typical 
in a city was the gates would be open at sunrise for people to come in and people to go out. And then at sunset, the gates would be shut and the gates would be locked to protect the city. But what is Nehemiah's instructions? His instructions are a little bit different. He instructs them not to open the city gates until the sun is up and it's very hot. Why? Because of all the things that we've talked about, especially last week, the opposition of the enemy and the schemes of the enemy. He knew that if at sunrise, before the sun was fully up, if those gates were open, the enemy could be outside the gate waiting to attack. And so Nehemiah says, no, we're going to wait until the sun is high noon, full light of day, so we can see if the enemy's trying to approach. And so he gives them some very specific instructions to follow. He asks them and gives them to them in order some things that they're supposed to go through. Don't let the gates open until it's hot. Put guards by them. Shut and bolt the doors. There are some specific instructions, men and women, God has given us. As followers of Jesus, we can be the right people, and we are if we've been called of God and God has come into our lives and we've surrendered our lives to Him. We're His His children, so that's great. But you know what? I'll never be the best follower of Jesus that I can be till I'm actually doing the things that He's asked me to do. And I'm carrying them out in the right practice that He's asked me to carry them out. And so this is important what Nehemiah says. He says in verse 4, the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Remember, there was a remnant of people that had come over with Nehemiah. There were some people that were already there. There was another remnant of people that came over with him, and all of them have been involved in this rebuilding of the wall. Why is this wall so important? Why are these instructions important? Why is this team so important? Let me remind you why it's important. Is this about a wall? It's not about a wall. But it's about encompassing a group of people who can be in a protected, fortified city to praise and to worship God. Don't miss the point. It's not about the wall. But these elements are very important to making sure that the objective that God had in mind is accomplished. So let's keep reading. He says this in verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Which is why we get all those names and verses that we're going to see in just a minute. He says, Then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. So he's getting ready to go over the record of those who had come over. So it's almost like a census to identify those who belong and should be a part of this city. So it's very important what he lists here. He's going to list all these names. And again, for sake of time, we won't go through them this morning. But starting at verse 6 and going all the way through about verse 65, 68, 69. All these people, and he mentions them by name. He mentions the son of this family and the son of that family. He's going through this whole census to say this. Here's what he's trying to say. Sometimes we lose because we don't have the right priority. We're not reading these verses this morning. Please don't miss this, church family. We're not reading these verses this morning because they're unimportant. We're, we're not reading them, really, because a lot of them are hard to pronounce. And we're not reading them because of sake of time. But it doesn't mean they're not important. God has a priority and an order and a way of doing things. And he mentions all these families, and Nehemiah mentions these families for a reason. The names of these families are on record. And sometimes it's not just enough to do the right things. Sometimes you have to do them in the right order. We just got through moving our offices down here. 
And we're going to have a grand opening for you to come walk through and see when we're totally finished. A lot of our church family has done, uh, done the manual labor. We've had awesome folks in our church family have done that. It's been tremendous. But if we just said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go down and we're going to go down, down there and we're going to put new carpet in. Then what we're going to do is we're going to get a sledgehammer and we're going to knock the concrete block out. Then after we do that, we're going to paint. Then we're going to put the windows. We, all those things would have been a part of the equation, but out of order, it would have been chaos. So the fact that Nehemiah mentions all these families, and he mentions them all by name, which is very important. By the way, God knows your name. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten where you live. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you. Some of you, not so many hairs on your head. It takes, you know, it takes quite as long. That's okay. But he knows you, and he knows you by name. And the names of these people were recorded in the book of Nehemiah for us. But you know what? There's a more important book that I hope your name is in this morning. And it's the Lamb's Book of Life. If you've given your heart and your life to Jesus, then your name is in that book. So this doesn't go past God. He doesn't miss it. And these names are recorded because they are, to, it's, it's to remind us that they came from somewhere. They had a place of origin. Do you, do you know where you're from? Do you know who you belong to? We were talking in our new members class this morning that I think a lot of people who are not plugged into the church, this is kind of an aside for just a second, aren't plugged in because sometimes we try to get them to mold into our behavior. Behavior doesn't come first. Belonging comes first. And when you recognize that you belong to Jesus and he knows your name, then all of a sudden you go, wow. How could a God of the universe love me like that? I believe in this God. I want to know this God. And you start to believe. And then because you believe, your behavior changes as a result. We sometimes have it wrong in the church. We want people to come in and act like us without knowing who they belong to. It's not going to work. That's why it's so important. Nehemiah mentions all the names of these people. And if you actually go back, there's another book of the Bible where this same list is recorded. It's in the book of Ezra. And this list of names is of, of those people who returned from Babylon under Zerubbabel in 536 B.C. There's documentation of this, historical fact of this being true. The Bible is a true book that we're reading this morning. This is not fiction or fantasy or made up. This is a true book. And so the names that are recorded here are uh, recorded a century later almost by Nehemiah because he's, he's listing these names here to remind us who is avail available to repopulate this city and bring glory to God. Who are the families who are going to repopulate this city and bring glory to God? A great question we could ask today. Who's going to repopulate our city, Malden, Greer, Greenville, Simpsonville, fill in the blank, and bring glory to God? But there was a problem in this list of priorities. There was a problem. We get down to verse 61. We'll jump in at verse 61. Here's what it says. These were those who came up from Tamila, Tamharsha, Cherub, Adon, and Emer. They could not show, here it is, very important. They could not show their father's houses or their descendants, whether they were of Israel and he lists some more in verse 62 and verse 63. Verse 64, he says, They searched among their ancestral registration, but it could not be located. There were some families whose records could not be found. It was not sure whether they were legitimate, whether they really belonged to the family of God. There are people in churches all over the land 
whose names are on a church membership roll, but they may or may not be written in the bigger book, the Lamb's Book of Life, and truly be saved. Do you know, do you know that? Joining a church does not make you a believer. Connecting with the heart of God and putting your trust in Jesus makes you a believer. And so the names of these people, the reason there's all these verses and why Nehemiah painstakingly mentions every single one is because every single family is important. And then he gets down and he says, but hold on a minute, there are some that we're not sure about. We can't find them in the record, and yet they're here. What are we going to do? And it's interesting what he does, not only with the problem, but he has a prescription, he has a solution. Here's what he says in verse 64, 65. They searched the ancestral registration. It could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and excluded from the priesthood. Verse 65, But the governor said to them they should not eat from the most holy things until, key phrase right here, until a priest arose from Urim or Thummim. Why is that important? Did you know that you and I were illegitimate, unclean and unworthy even though our names we've been born one time born on the earth we were illegitimate unclean not on the record books until a priest vouched for us king jesus our high priest who said there with me and in a sense this is exactly what happens here with these leaders they had the people who were not on record had to have someone vouch for them, a priest to stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, they are legitimate. They can be a part of our city. Because why? Because they belong to this family or to that family. So it's important that we know the right priority. Sometimes we get our priorities out of whack. Do you have that problem or is it just me? I have all these to-do lists, and sometimes I'll get to the end of the week, and I'll go, well, I got this done, but what I really should have gotten done is this, and I'll get my priorities out of whack, and spiritually that happens as well. And Nehemiah is reminding us that we will lose if we don't have the right priority, but you know what else we see in these verses? We've got to have the right provision, and here's what it says in verse 70. Of all these people that have come together, of all these families that have come together, some from among the heads of fathers' households gave to the work, verse 70. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas, 50 basins, 530 priest garments. And by the way, the big, the big thing that people gave back in that day, if they gave garments and clothing, that was a big deal. That was like us writing a check for 1,000 bucks. I mean, that was a big deal. If you gave garments, it was significant. And so they gave these garments. Verse 71 says, Some of the households of fathers' households gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 gold drachmas and 2,200 silver minas. And 67 priest garments. Now the priests, verse 73, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants in all Israel lived in these cities. So what's so important is the provision. You and I have to have the right provision in our life. If we're going to live a life that God wants us to live, we have to have the right provision. The Bible tells us in Peter that everything you and I need for life and godliness, we have already been given. It's already been provided to you. If you're a child of God, everything that you and I need for life and godliness, do you know you have it? 
Sometimes I think about people, you know, he's one of my heroes, Dr. Billy Graham. I look at him and I think, oh, if I just had some of the things he had. You know what? I do. And so do you. Everything that I need for life and godliness has already been given to me to live the Christian life. God's not withholding anything from me. And the same thing is true here. These people were giving what they needed had been provided. First Peter says it this way in First Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Who proclaim the excellences of him who has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know what's so awesome? We can have the right people. We can have the right practice. We can have things in the right priority. And we can have the right provision. And you know what? Think about this with me. We still can lose. We can have the right people. We can have the right priority. We can have the right provision, the right practice, and we still can lose. So you say, well, Jack, what's missing? What's missing? I'm so glad you asked. What's missing? You know what's missing? The right preparation. The right preparation. Back up with me all the way to verse 1. Verse 1. Maybe you missed it the first time you read it. I missed it the first 50 times I read it. It came about when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors. The gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Let me tell you a little bit about some of these people you may not know because I didn't know until I researched a little bit. One of them's pretty obvious. But the gatekeepers and the Levites were all in charge the Levites especially were all in charge of making sure worship happened appropriately, the right priority, the right way. But the singers, he's talking about the worship leaders, the worship pastors, the musicians. He's, those are the first people that he mentions. Why would he do that? Because worship leaders were entrusted to guard the gates. Why? Don't miss this. This is a chapter where the whole, the whole story changes the whole reason for the city was for worship. So who did he put at the gates to guard the gates? The worship leaders, the singers, the musicians, because that was the purpose of the city. To bring glory and worship to God. The thing, this has not changed for us in all these years. The same thing is true for us. That's why what we do on Sunday mornings is so important. We can have the right people on our team this week. We can have the right priorities. We can have everything right, right, right. But you know what? If we don't come in here with the right preparation of worshiping God Almighty, we will blow it this week. I will blow it this week. The right preparation is so important. It's not just to... to Come in and fellowship, that's a big part of it, but it's to prepare our hearts and to recognize He is the one true God. The city was built for worship. Worship prepares our hearts to hear from God, and when we worship, we gain the heart of God. It matters to God. What I was involved in worship, these singers, these worship leaders that were at the gate, they probably were waiting. They're standing there on guard, but I'm sure they're singing the whole time. Some of you have served in the military. We have some incredible military men and women you've served. And man, I, I don't know that experience, but I'm sure there's some lonely times where it's just you and God, and you're standing guard, and it's you and God, and maybe you're even singing a song, while it, it may be out loud, or it may be in your mind, because you're standing guard. These worship leaders were standing guard. They guarded the gates. The Bible says to keep alert. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, be on the alert. 
The prayer and the praise were so important. The proclamation that was going to happen in these walls as people turn their hearts to God and worship God, it's so important. Sunday mornings, anytime, Sunday night, tonight with Jason Gray, anytime we get together to sing and to worship God is an important time. Why? Because it prepares our heart. It's the best preparation, whether you're a child of God, whether you've been a child of God for a long time, or you've kind of wondering what it means to be a child of God. Can I tell you this morning, if you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, your life to Jesus, you've never said, God, you're going to be my boss and ruler, you've never recognized your sin, a part of worship is recognizing I'm a sinner. And as Sonny said before he prayed, I'm coming into the presence of a God who is worthy and awesome. I'm just a speck, and he could just do that, but he doesn't. He chooses to love me and sent his son on a cross to pay the penalty of my sin and was resurrected three days later and is coming back to take me home if I'm a child of his. That's the preparation that you need. If you don't know that this morning, can I tell you that's the first thing you need to do. That is the right preparation for you to win, is to recognize Jesus. For the rest of us who would say, oh, I already know Jesus, can I tell you what? It's the same thing for you and the same thing for me. It's the same preparation I need to take every morning when I get up. I need to recognize, God, you are the one that I worship. It's all about you. Friends, we can worship God a lot of different ways. And I get that. Oftentimes we mistakenly say that the music portion of the service is worship. I hope you're worshiping right now. We don't cut worship on and cut worship off, hopefully. But this morning, to, to conclude our service, musically, that's what we're going to do together. If I could peel back the skin and the muscle around my spiritual heart this morning and show it to you, my heart's desire is that we would be a church who truly knows how to worship. Some of us do. Some of us are learning. I'm learning. Because I have seen brothers and sisters of Christ in the Dominican, Malawi, in the United States, Spartanburg, Greenville, I've seen groups of believers who when they actually understand that the right preparation for our hearts is to fall on our knees before a holy God and say, I worship you. It'll change your life. When you recognize who you worship. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time musically worshiping. Can I, can I humbly ask you as friends, would you do this morning what God lays on your heart to do if it's a God thing? You, you may, as you worship today, you, you, you may not... Like, like Sonny, I was the same way this morning when we were praying. I, I, I couldn't even pray. I, was just, I just wanted to weep before God. Guess what? That's okay. God knows what you're praying, even when you can't put the words to it. Maybe this morning you just need to come to the altar and fall on your knees, and that's, that's how you might worship. Maybe you need to raise your hands. Don't get freaked out by people that raise their hands. It's okay. Set yourself free to worship God. If you're worshiping God and you're genuine and your heart is sincerely saying, Lord, I, this is about you. I don't care about people around me. And you're raising your hands. I believe God smiles at you and he's, he loves that. 
So during this time, I'm just going to ask you to do what God leads you to do. Joey's going to lead us. If you need to stand, if you need to kneel, if you need to go get right with somebody, I'll pray you do that this morning. Our audience is one person. His name is Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I pray during our time of worship right now, musically, God, would you allow us to be honest? Would you allow us, oh Lord, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes, to turn off every other thought in our mind? I got to do this when I get home. Oh, I got this, I got this meeting this week. Oh, the kids need this. Oh, so-and-so sick. Oh. Would you allow us just for a few minutes, please, to turn all that off and have one agenda of telling you how much we love you? May you be honored during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.